Dig On Doug podcast. And we're going to get live. We're going to get you ready because you're going to be in for an earful, baby. Let's go. Yo, yo, it's Dig On Doug. Dig On Doug. Dig On Doug. It's your number one spot. Dig On Doug. Dig on Doug, dig on Doug, another episode drop. This is Dig on Doug, we speak on things we love, sports, books, and grub. Listen, we know what's up with movies, relationships, dynamites, main event, politics too, in the airways, latest hits. If I like it, then I name it. If I love it, I'll explain it. It's my podcast to play with or experiment. We explore our differences. Fact is, we ain't nothing without photosynthesis. So get a load of this. Lock in and focus in. Informative discussions with substance you can't afford to miss. Steer you from the shallow pits of hopelessness. Change your mind state from renting to ownership. We on some showmanship. Set goals and go for it. Share what I know so you don't have to go through it. There's alternatives, hope kinds and turns and twists. Yo, it's dig on Doug, fool. You know you heard of this. All right, what's up? What's up? Welcome, everybody. This is another episode of the Dig on Doug podcast. Super excited to have you all here. Super excited to give you another episode before we end this year out of 2022. Uh, I got my man uh, Chuck back, Charles Anderson, uh, the therapist, my niche therapy. What's going on, man? What's going on, Doug? Man, it's good to be back. All right, glad, glad to definitely have you here. And, and our special guest today is uh, Poppy Anderson, not related. So, not related. <laughs> uh, Poppy here. Uh, uh, Poppy, go ahead and introduce yourself. Uh, I'm Poppy Anderson. I like to think of myself as a lifelong athlete. Uh, my primary sport was gymnastics. I competed at UC Davis, um, winning the national championship with my team in 1999. That was really exciting. Um, I, I'll, but prior to specializing in gymnastics, I loved tennis and soccer. So I would say soccer is my secondary sport. I'm enjoying watching the world cup going on right now. Um, but yeah, that's a little bit about me. Yeah, no, definitely. Career wise, I'm a registered dietitian and, um, I currently teach at the community college level. Okay. No, definitely excited about that and to hear more about your path and your role, um, and so this episode, again, uh, some of you heard uh, the prior episode with Jeremy Ross, just really talking with athletes and about mental health, about trauma, about just their journey of what that takes. And you, like you heard from Poppy, like you're forever athlete. And so that that's a mentality that you really develop um, with some of the good and some of the bad. So we're definitely going to divulge into that. So you started to touch on uh, all the sports and, and everything that you've done. So give us a, a background about how you initially got into sports. I don't think it was really a choice for me. I am the only daughter of, well, I have two brothers. That's what I'm trying to say. And they were athletic. So I was always trying to keep up with everything they were doing. So it was just kind of a natural thing of like, I'm the next kid to sign up for a sport endeavor. And, you know, my parents tried to do more of the girly things like, oh, take dance, take this, (laughs) do tap dance. And I was kind of like, no, I want to hit the baseball. I want to be with boys. And I was for sure a tomboy growing up. Um, of course, that dance lessons did help me when I finally landed on gymnastics. But I didn't start gymnastics until I was much older, nine years old. Most gymnasts start three, four, five. So oh, wow. I started late. Um, and I just took a real liking to it. So originally, my parents signed me up for gymnastics because I was already tumbling on the grass. <laughs> I put the pillows down on the ground and do flips and they're like she's gonna eventually hurt herself because she doesn't know what she's doing there was a little bit of daredevil in me and so signing me up and getting me in the gym made it safer to explore flips and things that I, I was already interested in that's that's wild to think uh like nine years old is like already behind the game um that's that's it wild. Is. <laughs> yeah so I was already athletic endurance you know, had been playing soccer, doing lots of other sports prior to that. But there was something special about gymnastics that really I enjoyed. I enjoyed feeling a strong sense of control of my body. Mm. Um, and and while coupling that with a sense of not being in control, because when you're flipping in the air, you're not fully in control. It's momentum happening to you. Yeah. Um, so I enjoyed that balance of two things. I also really enjoyed, and this is a little odd, my coaches would tell me, but I enjoyed the strength training involved in gymnastics. Most gymnasts would complain and hate that aspect. It's a big part of being able to do the skills. You have to be strong enough and have the body mechanics to do them. 
And I actually enjoyed the strength training. I kind of took it as like, I want to better myself. I want to be the best. And I'm competing with my teammates. I'm competing with myself to do more sit-ups, more push-ups. Um, and that, unfortunately, I still have with me as an adult when I go to the gym. I am definitely a competitor wherever I go. And it gets me into trouble sometimes. <laughs> That's true. Hey, I wanted to ask you really quick. This is Chuck Anderson. Um, what, what were some of the stigmas? if you could remember back then for being a female athlete um, going into gymnastics behind the curve? Yeah. Um, well, just being a female athlete, let's see, I'm 40 now. So it's kind of, I was a 1980s baby, put that in perspective of timeline. I think things have changed a lot for female athletes already. Right. I'd like to think I was maybe part of that. Um, when I was in high school, well, when I was in middle school, I was, that's where, um, Soccer was, I was more advanced at soccer than I was at my gymnastics at that point. And so me and my friends, girlfriends, we wanted to play soccer for our school, but there was no girls soccer team. So we tried out for the boys team, all five of us. And guess what? We kicked their butt and all five of us made the team. So we were the only middle school that had girls playing on their team and the district had to catch up. Were they going to put us in the boys locker room or were they going to open up another space for us to change before games? Are we going to ride on the same bus or a different bus? Were they going to give us an adult female escort or are we only going to be with the male coaches? So we kind of pushed the curve. Um, and we really enjoyed that. Um, it made other people mad because they didn't get their spots, right? Five spots got lost to these five girls. But it certainly made our school team a lot better. We won more games that way. Um, so I enjoyed that experience. Now, what I didn't enjoy was our uniforms were designed for male bodies, not female bodies. So that was uncomfortable. <laughs> um, and then I was actually part of a focus group for a sports company of how to design uh, athletic wear for women back when I was in middle school. So that was like kind of a fun thing, helping push the curve of like, yes, women's bodies, girls' bodies are different and they can still perform very similar skills, but we want to be clothed differently. We want to dress cute while we play soccer, you know? <laughs> so that was kind of a fun, a fun thing to push the curve there. But stigmas of gymnastics starting late, I don't know how much I was aware of it, like at nine, I was just a girl having fun at nine. Um, once I started to compete, um, I started competing pretty early. So I started at nine and probably by 10, 11, I'm competing. And that's when I started to feel it like, oh, I'm competing at the entry level, but all the people I'm competing against are little girls and I'm a 10 year old. Um, so that's where I noticed this, the age gap um, between myself and my other competitors. And you just kind of roll with it, but then also it helps push me forward. Like, well, I want to get caught up. I see at the higher level, I see people my age. So let me practice harder and get to that level so I can join my age group. Um, so I kind of turned it to be a motivator. I didn't feel negative about it. Nice. Now, was that what state was that in when you started? I'm a California girl okay. named after the California poppy. Lived here my whole life. That's awesome. Okay. Were there any uh, like weight restrictions or anything like that, that, that throttled you in your development? I was very fortunate to come from a positive um, environment in regards to my gymnastics all the way through college. Honestly, Um, I know that's not the case for most. And I never, there was never a weight restriction communicated to me directly I don't know if anything was ever communicated to my parents, but we were trained about healthy eating and coaches would bring a nutritionist to start talking to us about how we should be eating and how to eat to fuel your body. Um, So that was really, I was really impressed by that. When I look back and I hear other people's stories, I'm like, wow, I was really lucky. But get this, coming from a body positive environment, I still ended up with an eating disorder coming out of gymnastics. So I I know horror stories from friends and other gymnasts, and I just feel really lucky that I wasn't, you know, set body shamed or fat shamed, but there's still a self-consciousness, whether anyone's saying it to you or not, you're wearing nothing in front of everybody and everybody's seeing each other's strengths and weaknesses of your physique naturally or of your physical training. And you create your own weird morphed body images of, I hope to be like this you know, my, my gymnast person who's better than me, I want her body and and I want to reject my own body. 
Um, so my eating disorder started young. You know, I started gymnastics at nine and by by eighth grade, I was already showing signs of bulimia, um, overeating, stress eating, and then throwing up basically. Um, and I played it off. I was lactose intolerant. I played it off. Oh, I'm burping my food or I had so many excuses. And I wish someone would have been like, this is not right. Stop what you're doing. Why are you doing that? Um, and the bulimia continued through college or until I got to college and then freshman year in college, community dorm bathrooms were not going to work for bulimia. So I was kind of like, intellectualizing this, like, hmm, I can't keep throwing up here because there's not a private bathroom. People are going to hear it. People are going to smell it. People are not going to be okay with it. And that was actually the first time that I got social pressure to like, this is not okay. Why are you doing this? Um, of course, I'm not honest in telling everyone, hey, I threw up my meals when I overeat. Like, there's a lot of deceit happening that allows it to continue. Um, so in college, I converted to becoming a compulsive exerciser. Uh, not, not proud of it, but I already have three, four hour practices in the afternoon with my teammates and my coaches. I'd get up early and do an hour of cardio and weights or whatever exercise privately before I started my day. And so I was not treating my body well. Um, I never stopped menstruating. So I didn't get so underweight. I was always, um, strong and, and had enough body fat to like protect my female organs, but I didn't know that that just happened to be the case. It wasn't like I was making sure I was above some line. Um, and if you had asked me at any of those points of my athletic career, if I had a problem, I would have said, no, this is just how I live. This is just part of how I manage my stress. This is just how I get my upper edge. You know, I, I, I praise myself for these things, not realizing the harm I was doing. I wasn't educated about eating disorders. I think that's changed now in the sports world. A lot more people know about them. Yeah. Um, I would look at my other teammates and say, oh, they have a problem. They're too skinny. They're not eating. But I wasn't acknowledging that the bulimia or compulsive exercising were actual problems. Yeah. And it I wasn't brought, until. Uh, go ahead. Uh, go ahead. I, one of the things that popped in my head, because um, I've counseled a few women athletes, uh, high school athletes. And one of the things that they would often tell me is that there's such a comparison for, and again, you know, we live in a little bit different world than the 80s, but, you know, and I'm not female, so I don't know this, the, the the triggers that go on, um, because they're so inundated with images of this is the body type that they have to conform to, plus their friends are doing it. And then uh, a common thread that I found out of the maybe four or five women that I have counseled that had eating disorders was that there was some sort of familial pressure, a dad, a mom, or uh, a cousin or aunt, or some, 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 some person in the family that, uh, and that would pressure them into saying, Hey, you're not small enough, or you're not big enough. And yes. this person, and, and they kept making these comparisons. And then you know, that transferred into a trauma. So I'm glad you cleared that up for me. It helped me understand like, hey, you don't necessarily have to have that pressure to even develop it as well. Well, I would actually say, say I think you do. Just for me, it didn't come from my sports world. Right. Okay. So I had a very positive body image, body, healthy sports coach, coaching team. Um, but I got I did get that from family members. So um, some some sample stories that kind of highlight some of my family experience is um, uncles coming and pinching my sides, like, oh, what's this? Now, granted, I'm a teenager athlete. I don't have extra fat to pinch, but oh, what's this extra here? Yeah. Or, um, wow. you know, super embarrassing. I'm a, a developing young female and my grandma comes up at a big party where I don't even know half the people at this party. She just comes right up to my friend like, oh my gosh, my granddaughter's developing and like motions to grab my tiny little developing press. So there was a lot of body image focus on both sides of my family, my mom's side and my dad's side. Um, you know, we would, again, I was a tomboy, so I wanted to be strong and like my brothers. And so amongst us, we would joke around and, you know, of course, they're getting testosterone and, and developing all these big muscles. I'm not, but I would still compete with them. Like, oh, let me see if I can do as many pushups as you. And so there was a lot of competition around body image in my home environment. Um, so I'm grateful I didn't get that additive 
from my sports world. Yeah, that's awesome. No, it's definitely definitely having that that balance because it it throws so much off. I, I think about often <clears throat> and why we're doing these episodes about athletes and how you really come to this road of like, okay, I gotta to really excel in this road. I feel like I have to almost sacrifice everything compared to fully developing myself. Like one of the things I think about with a lot of athletes, honestly, is they're super underdeveloped as a whole person because they're super trying to develop this road of like, this is my body, this is my image, and it lacks a lot of stuff. And it sounds like that's what you're you're getting to. And but luckily enough, you had that balance with your coaches and your team <clears throat> to counterbalance that a bit, but it was still there. Yeah, it was still there. And so my recovery from my eating disorder had was like my own self journey after my sports were done. And that's something that I think we need to talk a lot more about it for women, particularly when you're done with the competitive side of your sport, your body's going to naturally change. You're going yeah. to lose muscle. You're going to increase your body fat and that's okay. And that's healthy. And you have to now find what is the new me? What's the healthy me? Yeah. What's the athletics is my hobby versus my number one thing. Mm-hmm. And that was a hard transition for me coming out of my sports into like just real life, work a job and exercise on the side kind of thing that it would have helped me if more people talked about body changes are natural and normal and to accept yourself as your body goes through these changes of no longer being a competitive athlete to an average <laughs> athlete or whatever the right words are. I'm not sure. Um, but in my eating disorder journey, recovery journey, I had to do a lot of therapy and mm. deal with those triggers that you were mentioning, Chuck, earlier, which were the family triggers and the the negative assumptions and lies I told myself. I had so many lies, including I wasn't good enough and if I wasn't producing. And for me, producing mm. was my athletic accomplishments. Producing was good grades. Um, I was always or every year on the list of academic All-Americans for NCAA because I got good grades in college. Um, And so when I graduate college and I don't have my sport anymore, it's like, well, now how do I produce? How do I value myself? Mm -hmm. I'm not producing in a sport. I'm not producing in academics. Who am I? What am I? And really answering these questions and and developing a healthy relationship with the rest of who I am, as Doug alluded to. How am I relationally? Oh my gosh, my relationships were horrible. I used people and I never would have admitted that to myself, but I used people in regards to, let me make a study group so that I can study and you know get better. Or what can I get out of you? How do you help me versus how can I help you? Yeah. Um, and so I had a lot of learning to do and catching up on the other aspects of life that were neglected. Mm-hmm. And they were significant. Relationships were significant. Um, I really hadn't thought about life past sports mm-hmm. until my sport was gone. You don't do gymnastics forever. And, and I knew that. And so I had a plan when I stopped doing soccer in high school so that I could focus on gymnastics. Um, sophomore year of high school, I was getting casually recruited uh, by soccer coaches and gymnastics coaches. Mm. And so it was becoming clear I had a path to a scholarship both directions, but I needed to pick one. I wouldn't be able to get to that level of getting the scholarship if I didn't specialize. And so this is my little, you know, high school brain thinking, well, I can only do gymnastics while I'm young. So let me do that now. And when gymnastics is over, I'll convert back to soccer because I love them both equally. Yeah. And so that's what I thought. So even coming out of college, like gymnastics is over. I envisioned myself then going to soccer and my soccer teammates were playing um, competitively at the national level still. And I was like, I'm just going to go join them. Mm-hmm. Well, it didn't work out. I was so injured by that point. That was not realistic at all, but it just shows you how much I identified myself with athletics that I hadn't even really thought through career. What are my strengths and weaknesses that I can offer in another setting? <laughs> um, so I had to work with a sports psychologist coming out of gymnastics. Um, luckily my college, uh, athletics department offered it to me and it was a really helpful resource. I ended my gymnastics career on an injury. So it wasn't like I got my highlight, I'm at the top and now I retire, which is what I imagined would happen. I refused to quit, which is not a good thing. And I think that's a whole nother topic of 
sports, how we view when people end their career. Mm -hmm. But I refused to quit. I was so injured. I couldn't drive a car. I couldn't sit in my lectures. I would stand in the back of my lectures. I'd ice my body every night just to numb it enough to be able to fall asleep. I was in constant pain. Doctors couldn't figure out what was wrong with my back. I had a lot of back pain. Five years later, I found out I had hernias, um, inequal hernias that I had surgery to get fixed. But back then we couldn't figure it out. And so I refused to quit. So the doctors had to not clear me to practice and not clear me to wow. participate, basically. And so, but I was, even that was like, okay, they said I can't, but I still think I can. Right. <laughs> I mean, just so proud, so arrogant, so not grounded in reality mm-hmm. in this area. You know, athlete, athletics was everything to me. My image, my self-image, how I related to others in the world around me. And so working with a sports psychologist really helped me to start to identify what are my other strengths? Mm-hmm. What are what are the weaknesses I need to go out and develop and figure out how to get better at? What dreams do I have outside of sports? I mean, I had so put everything on hold. I, I forgot what my dreams were. You know, I forgot the little girl who dreamed of so many things and I became only this athlete. And so it was really an important exploration for me to figure out what do I want to do? And, you know, there was some being young and naive in this, I'm invincible. Obviously I wasn't, I was injured, couldn't do my sport. So clearly I wasn't invincible, but this mentality of being invincible, I still held on to. And I had dreamed of being a doctor. Mm. And so, and I was taking the college courses that that was possible. I could have studied for the MCAT and done that, but there was this reality of I also have learning disabilities that I never really address. I always use sports to cover up my insecurities around my learning challenges. And I didn't let them stop me. I still got straight A's in high school and almost straight A's in college. I got one B plus <laughs> on my fr- my first semester as a freshman. I figured out, oh, I can do this. I got a B plus. I can do this next semester. got straight A's from there on. But I needed to address those learning challenges and get figure out what they were. I hid them. And I just showed everyone my fancy athletics, like, don't look at my, you know, other parts of me. So I carried a lot of shame and I needed to work with a professional to work through that shame, get the courage to actually get my learning challenges diagnosed and figure out what would be the best career path for me. I can't spell. I have phonological processing disorder. I can't spell. I love science, but there's no way I could be a doctor and put someone's life on the line if I misspell a medication on a prescription or something like that. Like that wouldn't be wise. So I became a registered dietitian instead. I still get to work in the hospital. I still got to feel like I was a clinician. I feel I was. I was a clinician um, with less stakes. And I really enjoyed my career uh, working in the hospital setting for 10 years. And then I transitioned to education, teaching nutrition, because I didn't want to work the weekends anymore. <laughs> so that was kind of the career path. But um, it came from having to address my weaknesses and having someone help me figure out who am I without sports or without sports being the dominant feature of my life. When, when all of that, thank you for sharing all of that. I mean, it's so much great insight. When that started to come, uh, come towards you, was it a abrupt, like hit in the face or was it a slow crumbling um, of you? I happen to realize all this stuff. It was a hit in the face. It was this, um, awareness of like the end of my gymnastics career is not what I expected it. I expected to end on a high, right? Freshman year of college, my team won a national championship and I competed. So I was part of that. Yeah, I expected that to continue. Like you're going to win the national champion every year. No, you don't. You know, mm-hmm. people come and go on the team that happened to be a special team where the freshmen were strong, the seniors were strong and everyone in between were strong. So we never got to that level again. We would still make it to nationals, but we weren't winning. Um, I would win on an individual level for floor floor. I would, I never got first. I was usually second or third. My teammate would always get first, which was awesome. But my last competition ever was individual event finals for floor. I should have gotten first, but instead I fell. I literally fell on my butt, my last competition ever. And that was partly why it was hard for me to let it go and move on. Cause I was like, I have to redeem myself. I can't yeah. end on a fall. Well, sure I can. Why not get up and walk away? And the truth is I should have ended gymnastics at least a year before I did, maybe two years before I did, if 
anyone was talking to me or I was willing to listen to someone talk about the rest of my life and my health as a priority versus my sport as a priority. I was so injured and so broken. It was that B plus again. It was that B plus again. Exactly. Exactly. You know, I look back now and I think I should have ended two years ago and it should have been okay. And there were times where I tried to end and I'd get pushback from coaches and parents. Like, you know, my memory of these conversations are different than how my parents remember them. We have talked about them since, but as you know, the athlete and that's my everything I heard, how dare you quit now? We've invested years and years of money and effort. Like you have to finish this, but what does the finish look like? Yeah. And, you know, we've talked, talked about it with my parents. That's not what they intended to say. That's what I heard or how I perceived it. And I totally understand that. Um, but yeah, I wish I had it ended two years sooner than I did. Yeah. That's intense. Mentally, Poppy, talk to me about how uh, you managed the mental anguish or if it was anguish, so I'm trying trying very hard it not was. to leave you. But it like, how do you handle the mental anguish of being a you know a top athlete? I'm gonna say top athlete, right, at a collegiate level, uh, competing and trying and and maintaining that edge, right? And the reason I'm saying this is because it sounds to me it sounds like you developed this alpha personality that. Uh, your mind wouldn't let you relax. I, I was reading an article today um, of a young NBA player, very good NBA player, just retired at 22 because he couldn't handle the pressure yeah. anymore of the league. And so, you know, I'm just wondering, like, how did you handle that? I spent a lot of alone time kind of in self-discovery. There was this little lake I would go to and I would sit under a tree in the shade and just watch the animals, the ducks and whatnot and the fish. And it was kind of like, let myself feel the pain and let myself feel the emotions I've been avoiding for most of my life. So a lot of my athletics, I loved athletics and I have an athletic body. I'm grateful for that. But a lot of my drive of athletics was to avoid other things. So in third grade is when I started to notice my learning challenges. Hey, I'm different than everybody else. Everyone else is getting this. I'm not. What's wrong with me? I was like, who cares? I'll go kick everyone's butt at kickball recess. (laughs) I started that out real young. No one taught that to me. That was my own coping skill, if you will, to just focus on what I'm good at and ignore what I'm not. Um, And then... Later on, I was experienced some community trauma, um, being being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Unfortunately, that was at my high school, but there was gang-related trauma, and I saw things that no child should see in regards to beatings, et cetera. I don't know if the individuals lived or not. Um, and it really like stuck with me. And I didn't talk about it. I didn't tell anyone that I was there. For this situation, I think everyone just assumed I was somewhere else <laughs> on campus that day. Um, and that drove a lot of my aggression in my sports endeavors at that point. Like I took my adrenaline from that event and I channeled it into my sports as an outlet. And so not having my sports anymore kind of forced me to deal with all these emotions and things that I had neglected. Um, and it was a crash. It was like, I didn't even know how to interact with my roommates anymore because I was the alpha in the house. And, and now there was, now that I didn't have sports, there was no reason for anyone to cater to me. Poppy didn't have practice four hours a day that she should do less chores in the house. Poppy doesn't have a competition over the weekend that she's not involved in the social things that we do together. Like all these things change. And I had to realize, Oh, actually, I don't know how to be at the social gathering. Right. I'm a clueless. I'm like a lost puppy because I haven't practiced socially what everybody else has for their whole life. I've been in this little bubble of a world of the gym. And so I had to face all those insecurities and I can't say I did it well. It wasn't like I was telling people, Hey, I don't know how to act. Can you help me socially? I was just fumbling around trying to figure it out. Um, And even the, the community violence, uh, situation. I didn't even admit that at this time. And we're like, when I lost the sports, I didn't realize that until just a couple years ago. Um, 
I adopted my son out of the foster system and his stories of what he experienced and how he tells them were triggering me, meaning he he would act behaviorally or talk about things and my heart rate would go up and my eyes would dilate and I would get stuck in this heightened place, not understanding where this is coming from or why. So I had to do some work to realize, oh, he's triggering me because of my trauma that I have not processed. And so we're getting to heal together now, which is kind of cool. But I also didn't fully understand how much I went to sports to avoid emotion until my daughter died four years ago. And that was obviously very traumatic. And my first response, maybe not my first grieving, crying, all that first, but after like six months of after she died, kind of out of the acute phase of grieving, I was like, I want to hit something. Like I'm angry now. I need to get this anger out of my body. So I signed up for Taekwondo and I got a black belt in Taekwondo in two years, but those two years were very healing for me of like, I get to hit the bag. I get to fight grown men. Um, Of course they're fighting me back. And, you know, I had to eventually stop because my ears were ringing concussion style. I did get several concussions as an athlete. Um, And my adult body can't take the same hits my young body used to, but it just, that was a cognitive decision of like, I need to go physically process this emotion. And it showed me how much I was doing that before without it being a cognitive decision. It was just such a natural response. Go to the gym, go run, go do my sports. That as an adult, I'm seeing, wow, I wish adults in my life when I was a child would have picked up on that and asked me the questions. Hey, at practice today, you have so much more energy or so much more aggression than you did a month ago. Like what changed? Mm -hmm. I wish someone would have asked me that because I would have been like, oh, my gosh, I saw this horrible thing. You know, like it would have really helped. Um, Even I had gotten in a car accident as a high school student driving to practice. And then I had like the best practice of my life because I had all the adrenaline from the car accident. Mm -hmm. And that was another thing of like, I probably shouldn't have been practicing an impact sport after being in a car accident. And I told people I was in the car accident. Mm -hmm. Um, But just things like that, where I think we need to take a bigger, more rounded approach to young athletes and help them think about other aspects of their life and their body as a whole and their body for the rest of their life, not just for this sports endeavor. I mean, I can't tell you how many times myself or my teammates practiced or competed injured. That's not safe. Okay. National championships. When I was in high school, I had a major concussion. I was medicated for this major concussion and I still competed. I would sleep on the floor of the competition floor in between my events because of this concussion. Um, And I look back and I'm like, one, I was stupid. I should have never been doing that. I could have really hurt myself being on medications for a concussion that numb your nervous system. Like I could have really hurt myself. I'm out there doing double flips on the floor. Uh (laughs) Pure muscle memory at that point. My brain was not engaged at all. Pure muscle memory. Uh But I don't brag about that. That was stupid. I don't want anyone to do that. Like my coaches and my parents, I don't think should have let me do that. When I look back as an adult, Uh they did. I'm sure I was pushing them to make, to let me, um, But things like that, where I'm like, no, we need to think about the big picture. Who cares if I didn't compete at nationals that year? Wasn't going to hurt anything. I already had my college scholarship. Like, it wasn't going to affect anything other than possibly really injure me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. One of the things I look at, and um, thanks for bringing that up, was how times are changing in that area. Uh, We just saw, you know, a few years ago, Simone Biles tap out, right? Competing on a I mean, a global level. Right. And, you know, tapping out for her mental health. And I remember seeing all the articles about, you know, why is she tapping out at this part of her life? And, you know, she's on this stage. And and I'm like, as a therapist, I'm like, man, what is wrong with people? <laughs> you know, why? Why are they uh, messing with this young lady when she's trying to take care of herself? And I, yes. I personally feel like, you know, I'm I'm grateful that she took a stance and was not. Uh, influenced by the uh, the thoughts of coaches or other people, and she actually took care of her body. What do you think? That took a lot of courage. Well, I know soccer did the same thing for for tennis. Yeah, exactly. Right around the same time, right? Uh Um, What do you think we can do as as a community to help young people, young women in particular, uh, and young men, to be able to tap out and not feel 
the pressure or the ridicule that society is going to give them? What do you think we can do? Yeah. I think we need to change the way we think about competition. Competition is a single point in time. And yes, there's skill and yes, there's training, right? You have to have the right skill and the right training to be at the competition. But that's one point in time of who's best in that moment. And that might not be your moment and that's okay, right? Like if you have a death in the family, you have an injury, it's not your moment. That's okay. It doesn't take anything away from your training, your skill level. It's just not meant to be that time. Um, So like my concussion story, I got the concussion on the last practice before we flew out to nationals. So I hit my head, right? Really hard, like so hard. The whole gym went quiet. Everyone's looking at me and I'm like uh, playing it off like I'm okay. But then stupid me, again, don't have any knowledge as the high school student, go to sleep and wake up just trashed. I can't sit straight without being dizzy. I can't stand. I have to crawl to the bathroom in the middle of the night, like just trashed. I go to the doctor, I get the medicine, and then I get on the airplane the next day. Like stupid. (laughs) So I wish I had that knowledge or that mindset of like, it's just one point in time. It doesn't negate your year of training. You still, you recover and then you try next year if you want to keep going. Um, I just, you know, if we looked at the whole person and I think as a society, we're moving this direction and we have big name athletes who are leading us to change our view of these competitions, but the whole person is more important. Um, And I now value myself as a whole person, but back in my athletics days, I didn't. And so, you know, it took time for me to even change my own perspective and get a lot of outside influence from non-athletes, honestly, to change the way that I was thought or brought up to think as an athlete. Well, it's, it's that whole person, like you talked about, the, the true development. Because if you're only developing one thing, that's what you're going to covet. I think about, like, imagine somebody, like, just lifting with one arm and that one arm gets, like, really big. And that's their arm. They're like, yeah, this is the one. Like, don't don't look at this one. Don't look at my legs. And, and it warps your mindset. And then especially in sports and culture, we think if somebody's not all sold in, they're not all sold in. And they're, they're, there's not the, the whole person of who they are. They're not the, the parent, the mom, the dad, the brother, the sister, the, the niece, the nephew, whatever all these different roles is. And especially sickly enough, especially in, in, in North America, we have this thing of like, that's our entertainment and you just got to entertain me and I don't care about anything else that's going on in your life. You've made oodles of money, so you should be fine. And we throw all this stuff at somebody. And then there's also the guilt um, folks can have. I think about like Alan Iverson, who had this almost in a sense guilt to bring everybody with him who helped support him. Because you're like, oh, okay, I'm the one making it. And always laugh at like these draft days, how like all these people are like around the, this one person who like they're they're moving forward in their life and then everybody's like oh remember when i gave you like a dollar one time and it's like like what are you like you're not yes thank you for the community but you should want to be able to give without receiving off of what i'm developing and doing and so just all that pressure of of what it is and then when especially when we look at women the limitness of the ceiling that you have of if you want to pr- produce in, in your life and all this stuff. And we talked about Simone Biles and Osaka. And then I think about, then we have Serena on the other side. And people are like, well, she was pregnant and she was playing. So what's going on? And it's like, you can't you can't have all these things at the same time. And it's, it's just crazy how society can put all this pressure on these athletes. And then you're just developing them in this culture. Oh, I can just do what I want to do. And like, because this is what the society has given me. Yeah. I think each person needs to be an advocate for themselves. Mm -hmm. Right. So I don't know Serena personally, but she may have been very fit and her being pregnant and competing at that high level had no negative impact on her life. Like she could do that. I have known athletes who, when they're pregnant, they are just as athletic. Mm -hmm. So I don't know that that necessarily needs to be a limit unless it's a safety issue for, you know, the person or the fetus. But I agree with you that there are, limits in what we can do and we have to be okay with that because we're not invincible (laughs) and we can't always perform for everybody who wants us to perform i mean i'm not never at the level of having money and the kind of things that you described for the professional athletes 
But I did have that sense of like, yeah, my parents sacrificed a lot for my gymnastics career. They put in a lot of money. Training a gymnast is not cheap. It's hundreds of dollars a month just to get into the gym and be on the team, let alone paying for competition and flights and everything else. And so I did feel a sense of obligation to them. As you could hear in the way that I interpreted the conversation of, hey, I think I want to end and maybe focus on other things or my body's hurting. I don't know if I can keep doing this. My interpretation of that conversation has that like built into it. Yeah. Um, And so I totally understand that as athletes get higher up in levels, that pressure becomes even more. Uh And to get to a higher level, more sacrifice has to happen. You're not showing up to family functions. I mean, I, I didn't know that every Friday my family had this like family movie night and my brother's friends would come over and they'd all watch a movie together. I never knew that because I was never there and they never talked about it around me. I think they were like not wanting me to be jealous or feel like I was missing out, but I was always at the gym Friday night. Like that was our big training day, our big, you know, skill show off day, whatever. And so I just never knew what I was missing out on. And I wonder sometimes if I had known what I was missing out on, but I have still made the choice to miss out on it. And so, you know, we can't go back and change the past, but I think it's important to talk about with athletes what sacrifices they are making Mm -hmm. and how that could play out or what's the recovery plan in the future. Like you're sacrificing time with family or sacrificing time with peers what's your plan in the future to get that time back when the season's over or how are you going to make up for that? I didn't have that perspective. So I was like, it's normal to not spend time with family. It's normal to not have close friends outside of my sports friends. Like, well, maybe it's not normal. I missed out on so much. Yeah. yeah. Um, what helped and you? And I didn't value awesome. those things. Awesome. What do you think helped you as you become an adult married now with children um, what do you think helped you make that transition of looking at life past the sport? Hmm, and how did really that affect you like now with your own family? Or does that sports mentality creep back in sometimes? It definitely creeps. One second, guys. No, you're not supposed to be making any noise. Can I make you Yes, quietly. <laughs> I have a little one who woke up. Um, yeah, that's your fault. So, um, can you repeat the question, Chuck? Sorry, got distracted. <laughs> I was saying, like, was as a about being adult. Yes, as an adult now, does that does those uh, mentalities as a sports person creep in yes. as an adult? Okay. They absolutely do, especially in parenting. I see it a lot. So as I've been exploring kind of my past in therapy for myself and just personal development, realizing my parents had some very strong views that influenced me and they communicated their views so strongly to myself and to others that I didn't feel like as the child, I had the power to have a counter view. And um, one of those examples would be my parents were really strong on we're sending our kids to public school. A lot of people in my neighborhood sent their kids to private school. Well, as a kid, you don't know, oh, part of the reason that view is probably because of money, they couldn't afford to send three kids to private school. So that's probably part of what's forming their view, but that's not what they would say. They would communicate to everybody, we're, we're supporting the public school system. We came from the public school system and turned out fine. If everyone pulls their kids out, you know, what's left? Like they had all these views that sounded really good. Yeah. And I've explored that's part of the reason I never told them about the gang activity and the gang violence that I experienced in my high school at that public school that they valued so highly that I went to. I never told them about it because how could I present a fact to counter their very strong opinion? Yeah, That's how I felt as a kid. So I'm realizing as a parent, like, well, what opinions do I express so strongly that my child doesn't feel like they could counter? Mm. And you know, I want my child to be an athlete. I value athletics. I think there's a lot of potential there, but he doesn't quite have his own desire to do so. And so do I value that higher than just who he is as a person mm-hmm. or am I going to value him as a whole? And so, so those are some examples. Um, but the transition away from being an athlete was super hard for me. I mean, it was torture 
I lost a lot of weight, not from my eating disorder, but from grieving the loss of my sport and the loss of my identity. And I didn't realize at the time that that was like significant grieving, physically grieving, emotionally grieving. When I lost my daughter, that grieving process felt very familiar to me because I had grieved my sport in such a similar way. I never knew that was possible. (laughs) I mean, obviously losing my daughter was much harder and much more heartbreaking, but as a young adult who hadn't lived a lot of life, losing my sport was the biggest loss I had experienced at the time. And so kind of having to, I think admitting my weaknesses was a big part of changing how I viewed myself and viewing outside of my sport because I had to, this isn't available. What else is there? And open my eyes to everything that I had previously ignored or devalued. Mm -hmm. And And then start to place the right value on them. Yeah. A few things that I heard you say, and I kind of want to recap uh, for our listeners out there, is one of the things you talked about was your physical health, playing through injuries, uh, competing through injuries, and not taking your, you know, your physical health in in greater context than you did. You also talked about uh, taking care of your mental health and making sure that you know you're an advocate for your own ability and your own um cognitive processing uh and then the other thing you talked about too is is your emotional health and developing that emotional health and i think as not just athletes but people in general those are three of the top things that i talk about when folks come to me in therapy because it is about the whole person and so if you're a young person out there listening and and considering sports or uh, considering doing anything in life, make sure yeah. you have a balance of all of those three things. And if you don't understand what a balance of that is, make sure you get with someone that can help you in that arena and, you know, to take care of yourself because the right now is just right now. It's not tomorrow. It's not 10 years down the line. Um, you know, and I'm grateful that you brought those things up, Poppy, because it's very important, even as athletes, um, I never was, you know, a, a, a big athlete. So I love sports though. And I see it all the time, you know, through clients that come to me that they, one of these areas in their life is underdeveloped. So I just want to, again, want to recap that part and say, thank you for sharing those because that's vital information. No. Yeah. Uh, thank you for that. Poppy, I want to ask you, um, cause you talk about being able to counter, um, like your, your parents views and thoughts. What what advice would you give somebody how to develop that? Because especially in this day and age, like we have so underdeveloped just people in general, just not even athletes, just humans in general. So to even find that ability to say, like, I want to voice my opinion on this and stick through it, um, because there's a comfort that comes with exporting responsibilities where it's like, oh, OK, my coach is going to take care of all of this or my parents are going to take care of all of this. And I just got to show up like there's an ease in that. Like, and, and so how does someone start to do that work and development and check? You can you can chime in afterwards if you have something to to start to be an advocate for themselves. I like your term export responsibility. Yeah. Um, I do export my responsibility for my athletic training currently. I mm-hmm. sign up for a gym where there's a coach and they I just show up. They tell me what to do for the hour. I work out hard and then I leave for me right now in my life. That's very healthy for me. Athletics isn't the dominant thing. I don't think about it. I just go show up and I exercise and I'm healthy. Right. But I had to learn that I used to put all my thought into athletics and all my thought into body image and achievement and making myself look good in whatever way I was choosing to measure it, whether it was sports, my grades or my physique. And so I've had to realize none of those things matter in the big scheme of things. And I have to advocate for myself. So assertiveness and being an advocate were huge. I grew up as a people pleaser. Everybody else's opinions matter more. My role is to not create conflict was kind of how I interpreted my family dynamics. Like I won't add any additional conflict. I'll just blend in. Um, And so I had to work hard to find my own voice and be willing to engage in conflict because introducing an opposing opinion creates conflict. And I was a conflict avoider. So I had to develop courage that was required to 
speak my thoughts and opinions. I also had to get other people's um, thoughts and opinions outside of my head. Like, what do I actually think? How do I actually evaluate these facts or this information or the opportunity that I have to explore? What do I actually want? And it was hard to change what I wanted. I wanted athletics for many of the wrong reasons, right? I wasn't doing it to be healthy. I was injuring myself. I was pushing past those injuries and not healing. There were a lot of, I wanted it, but I wanted it for the wrong reasons. And I had to evaluate what were those reasons and then address them because those were things that were broken, right? Only valuing what I can produce. That's a broken way to view a human being. Mm -hmm. And that's how I valued myself. Um, I, I dealt with a period of chronic health where I was on medical leave for a very long time. I have chronic Lyme disease. And at one point I was so sick in bed 12 hours a day, IVs running at home, just really sick. And, um, I hated that time in my life, but it was the first time that I was forced to deal with the internal parts of me. I couldn't run to an activity. I couldn't run to an accomplishment. I couldn't hide anymore from how I really thought and felt about myself. And that was a huge turning point. So I think slowing down is important for that transition that you're referring to. For me, it came through illness that forced me to slow down, but I took advantage of it and really started to vocalize my own thoughts, even when they were ugly. Mm -hmm. I can't work right now. So I'm 0% of a person. I would Mm -hmm. literally say that because that's how I felt. And then I would get healthy enough to work one day a week. I'm one fifth of a person because I can work one day a week. Like this is awful. And it helped me to verbalize how I actually thought so I could then see it and hear it outside of myself and call it for what it was. That's not a true statement. That's a negative statement that I wouldn't say that to somebody else. So why am I saying it to myself? Mm -hmm. So I had to really evaluate my negative um, thought process and change it. Yeah. Change the things that drove me. I was driven by jealousy. I was hit a lot of these things um, that I'm talking about today. I didn't talk about them back then, you know? And so it was a a willingness to explore the scary parts of me that I had avoided and to redefine who I am and my value system. What would you say to young women following their dream of gymnastics today? I would say, enjoy it have fun, but it is not everything. You have a whole life after you and be thinking about and planning the rest of your life. What kind of relationships do you want? What kind of interact? Like, who do you want to be a well-rounded person? How can you develop these other areas while you devote yourself to the gym and, and your gymnastics training? Um, I'd also want to encourage them to be advocates for their own health, their physical health. You don't have to train past the injury. Let yourself heal. It's okay if you miss a year. Um, I kind of developed my, like, I have to push, push, push because early on, uh, I started when I was nine, when I was 10 or 11, I broke my arm actually in the gym. I fell off of bars and I broke my arm and I had to wear a cast for, I don't remember weeks, months. It was a long time felt like a long time. And so I would still go to practice every day with my cast and I could practice running down, you know, jumping on the board for vault. I could practice leaps and dance for beam and floor. I couldn't swing at all, but I kept my athleticism up and I kept training what I could. So as soon as that cast came off, I was like ready to pick up uh, where I was versus having not practiced. But my bars training was always behind because even though my cast is off, I can't hang on this arm. I can't swing. And from that point on, my bars was always a level behind the rest of my events. So I competed level nine. The, the highest I got, gymnastics goes to 10 levels, and then you get elite. That's what you see on TV as elite. I was always competing level nine because my bars were really level eight because it was really behind because of this injury, and I just never really recovered. And all my other events were level 10. So vault, floor, and beam were level 10, but I couldn't compete at level 10 because my bars sucked so bad. Mm-hmm. And I remember carrying a lot of shame around that my whole gymnastics career. Like I couldn't be an all-arounder. When colleges were recruiting me, they weren't recruiting me for all-around because they were not going to have me do bars. And um, I kind of had to be okay. Like that was maybe one of my first willingness to admit I'm not all that, mm-hmm. right? 
there are people better than me. (laughs) Um, I don't have it all. I, I never was good on bars and, um, I still would compete well and I'd still, you know, do well in the other events, but I never did well in bars and I had to be okay with that. And I think I should have learned from that. It's okay. Life happens. Injuries happen. Like I, I, I still enjoy gymnastics without bars being at the same level as the rest of my events. Um, I wish I had taken that perspective and applied it to other areas of my life too, (laughs) but I was a kid. Yeah. So I just, I share that story that it's okay if you're not all at the one level, enjoy what you're doing. And if you're having fun, it's worth it. And honestly, I did enjoy my sports career up until I would say those last two years when I should have ended sooner. And I was purely pushing through pain and being motivated by anger. I was angry at the pain and I turned that anger into like my motivation to practice through the pain, really twisted stuff. Um, also I carried some bitterness of the pressure that you were talking about, Doug, the whole community behind you feeling like I couldn't stop because everybody supported me and I owed it to my coaches. I didn't, I went to UC Davis on gymnastics scholarship, got straight A's minus that one B plus my freshman year. And I got converted to a academic scholarship through the regents. Oh wow! So I didn't have the athletic scholarship that I needed to keep pushing through. Mm-hmm. I could have stopped. Like everything was lined up. I could have stopped, yeah. but I didn't. And I did not enjoy those last two years. I wasn't having fun anymore. I was hurt. I was broken. And I was fueled with bitterness. And that kept me going was that bitterness. Um, I'd literally be in the corner ready for a tumbling pass, knowing it's going to hurt like hell to do and be like, this is for you, mom. This is, you know, like these are not the right ways yeah. to be thinking. <laughs> if you're doing something, do it for you. Yeah. That would be my bottom line. Do mm-hmm. it for you. Do it because you love it still. Yeah. And when you don't love it, it's okay to be done mm-hmm. and move on to something else you do love. Or have a conversation with somebody about those real thoughts and feelings. Um, because you like you said, it's that moment of whatever it is, of of all of that. And so with all of that, would you do it all over again if if had the chance? I would do it all over again, but I would have advocated for myself and had the courage to stop two years earlier. And if I had done that, I would have been a happier person. Mm-hmm. And then I would have moved on into the rest of my life. Not so broken. I have to ask this question. I mean, I know uh, you talked on it a little bit, but I want to know what is one of your biggest highlights of your academic, uh, not academic, but athletic career, like the moment that you just like really cherish. There's several of them. Um, I did really enjoy winning the national championship as a team. In gymnastics, it's very individual. But when you get to college, you compete as a team. And so that was really special. Like my first year as a real team environment and with gymnastics winning together. Um, I have another really important memory for me personally. It was like a recovery. It was uh, state championships. Bars was our first event. I already explained I sucked at bars. Yeah. That's so bad at bars. Like you're supposed to get a 10. Okay. This is the old scoring system. 10 is perfect. You should be getting at least a nine. If you're even deserve to be there, I would get an eight on bars. Cause I don't even have the skills. So bars sucked. If I'm going to even place anything like all around, I need my bars to not mess up. Cause it's going to suck. Anyway, that's going to get an 8.5 maybe. Well, I fall on my bar routine. Mm. That just sets my whole meat. Like I'm already behind. And I'm extra behind from where I even think I should be. Yeah. And I'm off crying in the bathroom because I fell and I'm embarrassed. Like I'm already embarrassed to compete this not up to par routine mm-hmm. at the level nine when it's really a level eight routine. And then I fall. It was just, I was so embarrassed. So I'm off in the bathroom crying and my teammate comes and this is a teammate who's a year older than me. This is my senior year of high school. So it's my last state championship. And she's already at UC Davis, the college I'm going to go to. And she's also on scholarship. And she was there to support us. And she finds me in the bathroom. And she basically is like, what are you doing in here crying? It is not over yet. You have your whole life ahead of you. You're going to college next year with me on scholarship. Like, get out there and show them who you are. We know bars suck, so get over it. And that was a really helpful pep talk coming from a a past teammate and will be be like a future teammate a friend, a really helpful pep talk from a friend that I was like, yeah, you're right. Why am I crying? I still have my three best events ahead of me. Mm-hmm. Like, what am I doing? And so it was just like this clarity of like, no, that's move, move on. 
right? Yeah. Leave that behind, move on. Mm -hmm. And then I proceed to move on. Beam is next. I rock beam, get first. I rock vault, not first, maybe fifth. And then I rock floor and get first. And it was just kind of, for me, it was like, I could have tanked it all because I was embarrassed or I can go and be my best. Yeah. So that moment was really powerful to me and realizing I didn't have it inside. I needed it to come from outside. I don't think I would have had that turnaround if my friend hadn't been there and helped me. So that was a moment of realizing it's an individual sport, but you still can't do it alone. Yeah. Community is always there. And I always say, sometimes we got to believe in the faith that others have in ourselves more than we can find it in ourselves until we can match it in, in ourselves because we don't always have it. So that's, that's amazing. That's, that's a great story. Uh, mm -hmm. Chuck, you got anything? Yeah, I was going to say thank you for uh, bringing out the point. And again, to any listener out there, you are good enough. Yes. Right. That's a that's a that's a statement that paints a lot of our thought processes, especially growing up and then getting older um, is realizing that you are good enough and you don't have to worry about what someone else says or their judgment or their the pressure that they give you, because at the end of the day, they can't live your life. Uh, so I'm, I'm super grateful for you saying that uh, and, and realizing that at a time in your life where it didn't seem that it was that way, but you developed that. Uh, also, uh, I'm grateful for all the things that you covered because I think it's helpful, again, for everyone listening to make sure that they take care of their mind, their body, and their spirit. Was there anything that spiritually that helped you get to this level? Where you are um, now? This level of recovery, yeah. Um, I think being willing to to face the truth. Uh, for me, a tool that I used to help me do that was reading the Bible and spiritual conversations around Bible scriptures and letting there be a um, a truth beyond what I know to be true mm -hmm. and then be willing to explore that. So, you know, I, I was very conceited, um, very proud. I mean, to give you a quick snapshot of how conceited, this was my sophomore year of gymnastics at college and my coach calls me in to meet him at his office. He never does that. You always have your conversations in the gym. So to meet him in his office, I was like, oh, wow, this is cool. Like, is he going to ask me to be team captain? Did I win some kind of award? Like, why is he calling me to his office? Well, I get in there and it's not anything what I think. He called me into his office to talk about how arrogant I am and how I'm not a team player and how I'm out for myself. And I'm like, my jaw's literally dropping as he's saying these things to me. And total mind shift, like, whoa, clearly you're right even just based on the mentality I had coming in here. <laughs> and I didn't want to see that truth. I left laughing at myself like, wow, I'm so full of it. Like that's what I needed to hear. Now my, my roommates had been telling me similar things for like months. <laughs> like you're getting worse. Like you're, you're, you're only out for yourself. They had been telling me these things, but I didn't want to hear it from them. But hearing it from my coach was like, whoa, okay, now I have a problem. And that forced me to go deeper and start to explore truth besides just what I think and let other people's perspectives have truth in my mind. Let the Bible be a force of truth for me. And then the Bible is what I would say helped me the most reading the Bible, praying and developing spiritual friendships that dug deeper into my heart and mind it was really the platform that allowed me to grow personally and spiritually. Nice. No, oh, that's, that's awesome. Um, Poppy, thank you again. Uh, before we wrap everything up, uh, the what are what are you digging on right now segment? So just anything in your life that you're really digging on, really enjoying. Uh, what's something right now for you in your life that you're really digging on? Um, I would say the Christmas spirit, seeing my son explore Christmas, you know, as an adult. I haven't done it in a while. And so it's kind of fun to be childlike again around Christmas. Oh, yeah. Well, that's, that's always nice. are trying <laughs> Chuck, what you digging I try on? To have fun. Man, I'm digging on that physical health, man. I recently had a stroke and uh, trying to recover from some of that stuff, man. And I'm realizing like some of the limitations I have now and just coming to grips with that uh, and really learning to love these latter years of my life. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of what I'm working on. We just got back from Maui and uh, that was amazing. Amazing. So that's what I'm digging on. 
Hey, that's, that's enjoying a, life, that's, man. That's a beautiful thing. For me right now, it's uh, health as well. Um, I've been consistently in the gym this month, like, like more than ever before. Like I'm going four days a week. Um, and my mentality for that is, are you going to be consistent for yourself? And just really asking myself that every day, like, because you can put off the excuses. Like, like oh, it's too cold this morning. Or I go work out in the morning, usually 5 a.m., 6 a.m. And then I can, oh, tomorrow and kick it, kick the can down the road. But it's like, are you going to show up consistently for yourself and be there for yourself? And that's really driving me. And so this be this is week three of four days in a row um, working out and super excited about that. So that's what I'm digging on. And this podcast and having Poppy here and, and being able to share this. I, yeah. I, I know this is going to impact a lot of people um, from from you sharing your story. And just thank you so much for your time, for opening up uh, and, and showing us the good and the bad um, of it all, because that's going to help so many people develop um, and give them steps ahead of, of where you were when you were younger and, and being able to go through this process. So uh, thank you again. You're welcome. Appreciate you having me. All right. No problem. So that was another episode of the Dig on Doug podcast, everybody. You know, make sure you check this out, follow it, share it with somebody. This will be, you know, maybe you can't really get somebody like a good Christmas gift or something this year. Give them this podcast. Like, hey, listen to this. This is going to help. You. So like that inner work is the real stuff. You can get somebody a shirt or something, but you give somebody some inner work to be able to grow in. That's going to last a long time. So I uh, appreciate you all. And, you know, keep on digging. <laughs>